Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do believe in the resurrection, the promise that you have given us. I pray this morning that you work in us ever greater faith, ever greater assurance, so that we too may as a body say we believe. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're concluding our series, The Gospel and the Messy Church. And I thought it would be good to conclude the series on this particular day because we have two calendar events back-to-back that are coming that have an impact that relates directly to the church in Corinth. The first one is, in two days, it will be Halloween, right? I don't know if you know this, but apart from Christmas, Actually, Halloween is second to Christmas in the amount of dollars spent by consumers. Did you know that? Halloween is second. It was no near where that no nowhere near that when I was growing up. I don't know about you, but you know, I had a handmade little cape. I think I was Mighty Mouse one year and I did a hobo another year. I did uh it was really bad. I did some cream and then uh, coffee grounds on the face. It was, uh, and it was like, ugh. But yeah, I mean, that was Halloween growing up, right? Maybe somebody would TP a, a tree or something like that. But how Halloween has changed over time. It has gotten very, very dark, very ghoulish, hasn't it? I mean, it's not just the dead it's the living dead, right? All the zombies and the ghouls and the supernatural. That's what Halloween has become for many, many people. And just out of curiosity, by the way, because I don't watch zombie TV shows and stuff, but I did a Google search. I said, all right, the top zombie TV shows. One search came up with 10 zombie shows. Another search came up with 30. And these zombie shows that they show on TV now, they're pretty graphic. I mean, it is not just about the dead. It's about the partially dead, partially alive, right? So we got that coming up. But the next day, I don't know if you know this, the next day, November 1st, is All Saints Day. All Saints Day. Now, this particular tradition, because it's not mandated in the Bible, this tradition actually started with one of the popes in the 7th century. And it was a feast for the martyrs, the people who had gone before the brothers and sisters in Christ who have laid down their life for the sake of faith. So that was in the 7th century. By uh, 741 or so, not it was not just the martyrs, but now all of the saints who had gone before. And then by 844, the next pope, Pope Gregory, he had actually solidified it, and he changed the date from May to November 1st. And now it became All Saints Day. It was to be a holy day of remembrance in the church. You see, what is All Saints Day? All Saints Day is we remember and honor those who have gone before us and now are in the glory of God. 
And the night before was known as All Hallowed Eve. So because it was supposed to be a hallowed day on November 1st, the night before was All Hallowed Eve, which then got shortened to Halloween. Now, All Saints Day, we should remember all of our brothers and sisters who have gone before us to be in glory. We honor them. We honor their memory and the faith that they passed down to us. Right? That we can stand here because of what they have done. So you compare All Saints Day with all the life, the breadth, the glory of all who have gone to their glory with the darkness, the ghoulishness of what has become Halloween. It is a, and by the way, Halloween and how it's become is just indicative of the culture in which we live. It is simply a reflection of the culture. One glorifies death and partial living death, whatever they, you want to call that, and one actually has a promise of life and life everlasting. This is also, I think, why it was really good and appropriate to sing We Believe as a song right before this message. Because what do you believe? It says this, in this time of desperation, when we all know it, our doubt and fear, right? This is kind of our age in which we live right now. There is only one foundation. We believe, we believe in this broken generation when all is dark, you help us see. There's only one salvation. We believe, we believe. And then comes the chorus. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And he's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that he conquered death. We believe in the resurrection and he's coming back again. We believe. So what we have before us today is a night and day decision. One of darkness or one of light. And what do you believe? Do you have assurance in the resurrection? Do you have assurance that you, your body, will be resurrected from the dead and given new life? What do you believe? See, Paul had to deal with this question with the church in Corinth. And really, we're, it's, I, I know I divided on the sermon notes in three parts, but it's kind of a two-part sermon in essence. It is, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then all is in vain. But Christ has been raised from the dead. So let us learn from Scripture. Let us learn from Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? You see... We don't know who, but some people within the church of Corinth were spreading the idea that there is no resurrection of the dead. 
Now, this wasn't just in Corinth, by the way. We find that Paul had to address this with his letter to Timothy. In 2 Timothy, which uh, he would have been in Ephesus, he writes, But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have served from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Basically, you have people who say, you know what, the resurrection's already happened, and it's too late for you, it's just not going to happen. So you had that being spread within the church. But not only that, just like Halloween influences many churches, the Greek philosophers also influenced the church. There were Greek philosophers and people of various beliefs who said that, you know what, the body is evil, and it's only the spirit that is good. So there cannot be a resurrection of the dead because the body is evil. This is also people who would say that Jesus Christ came in spirit only, not in body. So you had that. You had Plato. Plato himself taught that the the body was a prison and man should escape that prison. And then you had a guy named Celsus who lived in the, he wrote in the 170s, 180s. He was actually totally against Christianity. And this is what he said. To believe in a physical resurrection is to have the hope of worms. So, I mean, you got all of this stuff that is invading both internally and externally the church. But it happens today, folks. It happens today. How many people do you know talk about karma and reincarnation? They say, yes, I'm a Christian, but I also believe in karma and reincarnation. By the way, those are totally against biblical concepts. If you don't know, the purpose of reincarnation is for you to work off what you have done bad in one life and thus progress so you ultimately keep working off what you have done, which is bad, and then reach nirvana. Nobody knows exactly how you reach it or how many lives you have to go through. Isn't that against the gospel, which says you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that you are forgiven? See, what happens, what Paul's getting at, when you start to mix all of these different ideas, when you mix Christian and non-Christian beliefs, you negate the very gospel itself. You negate the gospel. And what Paul is driving at here is that the gospel is actually a part of the resurrection. Of the, the resurrection is part of the gospel proclamation. Without the resurrection, there is no gospel. Easter morning. Millions of Christians do this throughout the world, right? The pastor comes out and says, He is risen! He is risen indeed! What if I came out and said, He's still in the tomb! You'd be like, Well, let's close up shop then, right? See, the resurrection of Christ is part of the gospel proclamation. 
That's why Paul starts off chapter 15 talking about the gospel itself. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And then he gives a very concise, four statements, four very concise statements of the gospel. He says this, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He appeared to Cephas and then the twelve. So I have at other times, by the way, gone in depth on each one of these statements. So that's not my intent this morning. The intent this morning is to show you that points three and four deal with the resurrection. Half of what he says for the gospel proclamation deals specifically with the resurrection. And what he's driving at here with the Corinthians is to say this, to reject the resurrection of the dead is to reject that Christ was raised from the dead. It is to reject the gospel itself. If you reject this, all is in vain. So let's go with our reading again, verse 13 and 14. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Do you remember last week, if you were here last week, or you watched, listened, we talked about love. Beautiful, beautiful section. And what a joy to preach on, right? Preaching on love. But do you remember how Paul starts chapter 13? He says, if you have wisdom above all things, if you have prophetic powers, if you can speak in the tongues of so many different languages, if you have faith that moves mountains, if you go to the stake and are burned, but have not love, You are nothing, right? It's all vanity. Being a Christian without love is all vanity. Here he gets even deeper into this. He gets even deeper. He says, if Jesus, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then everything you believe in has been in vain. Everything. A chasing after the wind. Now, this is a pretty strong statement. A lot of people don't like this statement. They would say, well, come on, you know, even if it's not true, even if we just follow the teachings of Jesus, we're going to at least live a better life, right? Paul says, no, no, no. He says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, We are a people to be most pitied. Another way to translate it is, we are to be a people that are most miserable of all. You see, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, your belief about Jesus is not only false, your belief about God himself 
is false. Verse 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. Misrepresenting, by the way, could be translated as false witness. We are giving false witness or we are lying about God himself. How can that be? Lying about God himself. Well, if you go through scripture, right, there are what's known as messianic prophecies. God has said that this would happen. But if Christ was not raised from the dead, everything that God said would happen is not true. It's laid to waste. Take a look. Some of the messianic prophecies. 2 Samuel chapter 7. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Oh, you got to take that one out there. What about Daniel chapter 7? I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Well, if Christ did not raise from the dead, then that's not true, and God is a liar. Well, what about the angel Gabriel? Gabriel told Mary, He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Right? Going back to those other prophecies I talked about. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So you got to throw that one out too. There goes Advent, folks. Right? Very short Advent season. And by the way, you might as well throw out the entire book of Revelation while you're at it. So I guess we're done with Bible study. If he did not, was not raised from the dead. You see, you can't get around this. If the word of God, scripture is not true, then Jesus is not true. If Jesus is not true, God is not true. Everything is in vain. And what Paul's doing here is what most Christians do not do, is to really think through the implications of a thought. There are many Christians who hold to karma and reincarnation because they have not thought it through. And what Paul is doing, he is simply going to the very logical conclusion just like Solomon did in Ecclesiastes. He talks about everything under the sun and comes to the logical conclusion that without God, all is vanity. This is exactly what Paul's doing. And he is having us wrestle with this idea. And by the way, wrestling with the word of God is a good thing. Because it does make you think it through. And on the other side of this is joy. It is love. It is grace and mercy. 
It's good to think. It is good to wrestle with the word of the Lord. So, let's go to greater love and joy, continuing our wrestling here. For if the dead are not raised, even Christ has not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. It is impossible to talk about the good news. And that's what gospel means, right? Gospel means good news. It is impossible to talk about the good news of Jesus Christ without talking about forgiveness of sin. It is central, right? And Paul wrote about that, that Christ died for our sin. So he says, if Christ didn't die, you're you're still in your sins. And by the way, that would wash away anything that we would do on Good Friday. Why would we talk about Good Friday being a good Friday if it was not for the forgiveness of sin? We would have to do do away with Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. It would have meant that John the Baptist was wrong because he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus would have been a liar. For Jesus said, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. You see, it is this. If the dead are not raised, there is no forgiveness of sin, which means there is no good news. Now you might be thinking, are you ever going to let up? This is being a Debbie Downer sermon, man. I'm just following Paul's logic along the way. If you read Paul, he does this again and again to get out any little loophole you might think of. Just read Romans chapter 3 about how we are all in sin. Whoa! Or Ephesians. He begins Ephesians 2 with how much we are following the prince of this world the dark powers Satan himself before we have been in Christ Jesus. But you don't think about Paul as being just a downer, do you? Somebody who's strong in the faith because he uses this phrase so well. Where is it? But God. There we go. But God. But God. God comes in and intervenes where we cannot. In Ephesians, it says this, but God, right? After he's talked about how we are all following Satan, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But God, God intervenes. So in a very similar manner, after Paul has just written all of what he has done, 
he says this, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. But in fact, but God, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Now, we need to understand this phrase, has been raised from the dead. The way we hear it isn't necessarily the way it was written. It was written in a very specific manner in the original language. It talks about an action that occurred in the past, but has a very present and continual effect. So when we take a look at this, it would mean that Jesus was raised from the dead and continues to be raised, continues his life in the resurrected state. Thus, when we speak of Christ Jesus, he is not simply dead, he is living. And you and I have a living Savior, a living Redeemer, a living Lord. And this, there's this other part of this phrase, has been raised. It also then means that Jesus did not raise himself, but that God himself, the Lord God Almighty, raised Christ Jesus from the dead. So what we have in this short little phrase, after Paul has gone through all the logical conclusions of what people believe, he says, but in fact, Christ was raised from the dead. And because he was raised from the dead, he lives and he lives forevermore. And it is God the Father who raised him. Thus, in one phrase, he takes all of those arguments and lays them all to waste. Because Christ Jesus has been raised. And he goes on, he says that he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What does first fruits mean? Well, it means giving the best of the best to the Lord. You see, during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was a seven-day harvest feast, people would bring their offerings to the Lord. They would bring in the sheaves of grain, right? Bringing in the sheaves, the sheaves of grain. They would bring them to the temple and present the best of the best to the priest. That was the first fruit. The beginning of the feast of harvest took place the day after the Sabbath, after the Passover. That would have been Sunday, folks. It would have been the day Jesus was resurrected. You see, Jesus is the first fruit. He is the best of the best. So on this day, when Jesus was resurrected, presenting to the Lord the wonderful gift to all of humanity and giving glory unto God himself. If you take a look at Jesus being the first fruit or even the firstborn, if you want, the preeminent above all, 
there are various scripture readings that you could go through. I'm just going to, they're on the sermon notes. They're on the screen there. But he is the firstborn of creation. He is the firstborn into the world. He is the firstborn among brothers. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the firstborn from the dead so that he might be preeminent. He is the first fruits of the resurrected. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. One commentator put it like this. Jesus was the first to rise from the dead, rising as our representative. His resurrection causes us to be raised spiritually and at the same time guarantees that we will be raised bodily. You see, what Paul is now giving is a gospel proclamation, a good news proclamation. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. That's the promise. We're all going to die, right? We know this. We're all going to die. And for those who are in Christ Jesus, we rise again. And there's a bodily resurrection. A new body, right? One that doesn't need glasses or hip replacement or shoulders or anything else like that. A new body. A new life in His glory. That is our hope. See, Paul took all this time to get all that stuff out of there so you could actually hear the good news, to be assured of that hope, to be assured of the words that Christ has proclaimed. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Not a partial living, not a kind of in the shadow, but in the full glory of him. And everyone who lives and believes me shall never die. So what do you believe? It's a one or the other. There's no halfway in this. Because if you're halfway, you're not in the gospel. There's no halfway. Jesus himself said, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. What do you believe? What do you believe? Do you have that assurance? Do you hold fast to the promise? Because when you hold fast to that promise, you will be in his light, even in the midst of a culture that has darkness. That's the good news for the day. Amen.